Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show with a host who says what other hosts aren't allowed to say. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays at docwashburnshow.com and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, this is episode four of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the fact the FDA admitted it doesn't know if the COVID vaccines do any good for people who already had COVID. We'll also look at how Walmart is trying to indoctrinate its employees in the racist critical race theory dogma. And we'll look at new evidence about just how much the January 6th events at the U.S. Capitol were set up by the feds. But first, we have to talk about the supply chain problems in this country and how and why Biden's transportation secretary is AWOL. Okay, first of all, how and why did Pete Buttigieg become U.S. Secretary of Transportation? Well, it looks like it was probably some kind of a political payoff to get him to drop out of the 2020 Democrat presidential primary race. I mean, but how in the first place? Could Mayor Pete, as they call him, have possibly thought it was a good idea to run for president? I can imagine him having a conversation with a political consultant going something like this. Uh, Let's see here. You're the mayor of a crime-ridden small town in Indiana. Check. There are over 300 cities in America that are bigger than your city. Check. Uh... So why do you think it would be a good idea for you to run for president? Yeah, well, you know how in the Bible God says it's an abomination for a man to have sex with another man? Uh, yeah. Well, I like to do that. Oh. Well, then, that actually might play pretty well with the average Democrat primary voter. Let's give it a whirl. And lo and behold, they were right. Indeed, South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, with no record of achievement other than calling another guy his husband, finished first in the 2020 Democrat primary Iowa caucus, finished second in the New Hampshire primary, after he finished fourth in South Carolina, where there are a lot more black primary voters in the Democrat Party who actually go to church, It might have some issues with Mayor Pete's lifestyle. He dropped out. Now, after Dementia Joe was installed in the Oval Office, he made Mayor Pete Secretary of Transportation. Now, the Secretary of Transportation serves as a principal advisor to the President of the United States in all matters relating to transportation. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we're experiencing shortages on all kinds of things, and the shortages are getting worse by the day, and prices on a lot of things are going up because the supply chain is disrupted because there are hundreds 
of container ships that are backed up for weeks now offshore all of our major ports. Oh, and did I mention there's also such a shortage on truck drivers as some companies are actually training teenage girls to drive trucks? Well, yes, I believe I did mention that on yesterday's show. So last time I checked, ships and trucks are in some way related to transportation. Can can we get a fact check on that? (laughs) So by all rights, Transportation Secretary Mayor Pete should be advising slow-walking, slow-talking Dementia Joe on these very important transportation issues. So what's going on here? Well, transportation Transportation Secretary Mayor Pete and the guy he lives with adopted a couple of babies a couple of months ago. And Transportation Secretary Mayor Pete, it just came out, decided on August 15th to take family leave. And he's still on family leave. Now, is that is that anything like uh, maternity leave? Uh-oh. No, maternity leave is only for people who can actually birth babies. We used to call them women. So anyway, he's AWOL as we have huge supply chain problems directly affected by huge transportation issues. And he's not there to tell Dementia Joe anything. Now, for the Biden regime, this may look like more of a feature than a bug, okay? First of all, Dementia Joe is not setting transportation policy anyway. He just follows orders, right? How many times have you heard him say, well, I'm not supposed to take questions. Uh... I'm going to get in trouble if I say this. Well, okay, I'm supposed to leave now. Well. So he's he's not taking, I mean, he's not making policy. He's just following orders, right? I'll take you back to last fall. Everybody was trying to figure out who was going to be um, his vice presidential running mate. And, and um, so a few days before he named Kamala Harris, Biden was walking up to a podium with a microphone holding a clipboard. And behind the clipboard, plainly visible, if anybody had a zoom lens, which some photographers did, was a list of bullet points about why Kamala Harris would be a good vice president. And so at that point, the mainstream media was saying, oh, so he's going to pick Kamala here in a few days. And and he did. But 
He didn't write the bullet points out for himself. They were given to him, obviously. Kamala is Obama's girl. That's who he wanted to be president. So anyway, if he's not making as serious a decision as that, he's certainly not making serious decisions than anything else, right? So that's part of the deal here. And the other part of the deal here is that it certainly looks like this whole supply chain issue is intentional anyway, right? You pay people not to work. You tell companies if you have more than 100 employers and they won't get the vax, you got to fire them. And then you supply, you're surprised you have supply chain issues. So I just came across this article from last night, World Net Daily, Joseph Farah, saying could uh, could the whole last nine months of Joe Biden's actions, the stupidity, the cognitive disorder, the misguided thinking, even the insanity, could it all be part of of him being guided by some close to him who are following a scheme much more malign, the Cloward-Piven strategy. Have you ever heard of that? I first heard of it years ago. Let me, uh, and, and this is this is instructive, and I'll, I'll share the, uh, the World Net Daily article on, on my Facebook page here in a little bit. But the Cloward-Piven strategy was a political tactic devised in 1966, by progressive academics Richard Clower and Francis Richard Cloward and Francis Fox Piven, that called for overloading the U.S. public welfare system to precipitate a crisis that would lead to a replacement of the welfare system with a national system of a guaranteed annual income, and thus an end to poverty. Is what they said. In other words, it was an attack on the free enterprise system to destroy the system, replacing it with a socialist utopia. Of course, the problem is if you get rid of the free enterprise system and you guarantee everybody an annual income, it doesn't end poverty. It sends poverty through the roof because nobody's going to work if everybody gets a paycheck and you wind up with Venezuela where people are scrounging through garbage cans looking for food. So, Joseph Farah says, what does Clower Piven have to do with what Biden is up to? Farah's not under any illusions Biden's calling the shots. I'm not uh, under any illusions he's calling the shots. I doubt seriously if you're listening to the Doc Washburn show, you're not under any illusions Biden is calling the shots. But... His handlers are allowing all the chaos, including the open border, which even Barack Obama recently conceded is unsustainable, leaving who knows how many Americans in Afghanistan, the supply chain disaster, the mandate craze with all the firings, inflation, and a whole lot more. 
The Cloward Piven strategy has been adopted as part of mainstream leftist ideology. It's the Rosetta Stone for understanding what progressives do and why they do it. It seems to make no sense on the surface if you're not a leftist ideologue. It seems irrational, stupid, even insane, but it's not. It's pure evil from the pit of hell. It's the kind of thinking that led to gas chambers. It's the kind of thinking that led to gulags. It's the kind of thinking that led to guillotines. Joseph Ferris says here, I fear it comes from the evil nature of those who plan to finish the job of fundamentally transforming America. And Ferris must have ESPN too. He's reading my mind. He says, let's recall the Obama administration, which included Biden, First, set out to kill the greatest healthcare system the world had ever known. Obama had repeatedly lied about what he was doing. He misrepresented his intentions and his goals. Once he got what he wanted, and pe- people could see it didn't work the way they thought it would work, he told them they just didn't understand. Obama told the folks. It was their imaginations that they were losing their health insurance, paying more for medical services, and being denied treatment. No, you, you, you're just imagining that. You see, in this example, if you followed the Cloward-Piven strategy, your goal was never to provide better and more affordable health care. Your goal was to destroy the system and replace it with complete government control. But... The American healthcare system, like most institutions in America, was resilient in the face of even this frontal assault. This is also the administration that lived by the credo, never let a good crisis go to waste. You remember? You remember Rahm Emanuel, who was Biden's chief of staff in the White uh, pardon me, was Obama's chief of staff in the White House before he became mayor of Chicago? He's the one who said it, never let a good crisis go to waste. So Farah here at Walt World Net Daily says, is it unimaginable to consider the possibility that this scheme is at the heart of the times we're living in? It was unimaginable to Americans when New York City went bankrupt in the 1970s because of the Cloward-Piven strategy, specifically designed to precipitate a crisis in the welfare system. No one made the direct connection back then. It took years to figure it out. Understand that the progressives never say what they really mean. They lie about what they're doing and why. So are you awake yet? Are you paying attention yet? Do you understand what's going on here now, possibly? Does this help? Are things beginning to make more sense? The moral of the story is simple. Never underestimate the evil motives of the satanic death cult euphemistically called progressivism. It's not about progress. It's about regress, regression. It's about making the state, them, the ultimate arbiter of right and wrong. We all know where that leads, though it's awfully hard to believe it's happening again here. The number one job of the federal government is, after all, supposed to be protecting the safety and security of Americans. It should also be the number two job and the number three job. Pretty much the only job of the federal government, but that's a story from another time. If it's not error, if it's not bad judgment, if it's not misguided thinking, if it's not irrationality, 
ideological and multicultural blindness or insanity that explains what Biden and the cabal of pseudoscientists, ideologues, and population control activists are doing on the China virus front, well, what is it? I fear it's something much worse. It's the Cloward-Piven strategy. Crash the whole thing. Will it bring America to its knees as it brought down New York City in the 70s? Only if we recognize it's intentional rather than thinking it is the misguided work of a goofball senile president. That's uh, Joseph Farah over at World Net Daily. We'll put the article up on my uh, Facebook page here, here in a little bit. It's called, Are All Biden's Actions Explained by the Cloward-Piven Strategy? All right. So, and this is why, you know, with the supply chain situation, um, people in some parts of the country are uh, emptying shelves at grocery stores. So, so we got that going on. And we also have going on Walmart, the biggest private employer in the country. If you, if you look at a map of the United States, one of those maps where each state tells you who the biggest employer is in the state, private employers now, not, not including the feds, most states, the biggest employer is Walmart, okay? So um, the CEO of Walmart, a guy named Doug McMillan, he is a devotee of this racist, critical race theory dogma. And um, pardon me. And there's a guy named Christopher Rufo who's been doing more than anyone in America to fight back against the critical race theory. And uh, he's got what the young people call the receipts, okay? And this is just remarkable what he's come up with. And I think you need to know about this. Here's the scoop. And by the way, Christopher Rufo writes over the City Journal as a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And, uh, and he's a great guy. Scoop. Walmart has launched a critical race theory training program that denounces the United States as a white supremacy system and teaches white hourly, hourly wage workers that they are guilty of white supremacy thinking and internalized racial superiority. I'm not even going to lie, fam. I'm not making this up. Did you know that Walmart has a global office of culture, diversity, and inclusion? you realize that? Look, I live in Arkansas for the time being. I haven't been in a Walmart since last year. 
I haven't been in a Sam's Club since they opened up the Costco here in Little Rock. And I'm doing my level best to avoid Walmart and Sam's Club. Now, I told somebody that after the Costco opened up, and somebody said, oh, but Doc, Costco, they're a liberal organization too. I'm like, hey, what corporation isn't liberal at this point? You know? At least they're competing with Walmart and Sam's Club. Give me a break. So Walmart launched the program, this program teaching white hourly wage workers that the United States is a white supremacy system and that they're guilty of white supremacy thinking and internalized racial superiority. They launched this program with the Racial Equity Institute in 2018, and they've already trained more than 1,000 employees on the core principles of critical race theory, including intersectionality, internalized racial oppression, and white anti-racist development. And the program begins with the claim that the United States is a white supremacy system designed by white Europeans for maintaining white skin access to power and privilege. So, white folks are thus subjected to racist conditioning that indoctrinates them into white supremacy, according to Walmart. Now, if one believed in the concept of folks who are deceased being aggravated by what continues to go on in this old world, one would believe that Mr. Sam is spinning on his head in his grave. I don't actually believe that's going on, but I'm sure that he would be disappointed with where his brainchild is going. The Walmart program claims that white folks are inherently guilty of white privilege and internalized racial superiority or the belief that one's comfort, wealth, privilege, and success has been earned by merits and hard work rather than through the benefits of systemic racism. I see. So believing that if you work hard enough, you're going to get somewhere rather than you got somewhere because the system is racist and you're white, that's racist too, according to Walmart. Walmart argues that white supremacy culture can be summarized in a list of qualities including individualism, objectivity, paternalism, defensiveness, power hoarding, right to comfort, and worship of the written word all of which are damaging to people of color. You got that? So in the opinion of the CEO, the very white CEO, by the way, I'll say, of Walmart, if you, if you believe in individualism, you're a racist. If you believe in objective reality, you're a racist. If, <laughs> wait a minute. Worship of the written word? In other words, 
There's something wrong with you if you like to read books, apparently. But Christopher Rufo, in putting all this out, is doing screenshots of a whole lot of written words that Walmart has written down to tell you what a racist you are if you like written words. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's typical. Racists are hypocritical. And in my humble opinion, the folks in charge of Walmart are trying to project their racism onto the rest of us. You know, there's that Robin D'Angelo who wrote uh, the, 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 the book about the white fragility that's a bestseller, right? And it turns out, if you kind of read some of that, you see that the white Robin D'Angelo is simply trying to project her own white racism onto all other white folks, the overwhelming majority of whom are not actually racist. But in her mind, since she's white and she's racist, if you're white, you must be one too. I mean, there are anecdotes in that book about the white fragility, Robin D'Angelo, in which she clearly sets forth the evidence that she clearly is Caucasian and she clearly is a racist. So she's quite sure that if you are also white, that you're also a racist. See what I'm getting at here? So Walmart in this critical race theory program, tells minority employees that they suffer from constructed racist oppression. Huh. Well, then why don't you start paying them twice what you pay white folks then? If that's a problem, constructed racist oppression. I mean, you're the biggest employer in the country, right? Put some money where your mouth is, right? CEO Doug McMillian. Walmart tells him minority employees, they suffer from constructed racist oppression and internalized racial inferiority. Okay, all right. So big whitey, big whitey CEO of Walmart is telling his black employees, you feel like you're racially inferior. And the black employers are probably like, no, no. Don't put your racism on me. I'm creating the image of God just like everybody else. I haven't internalized any racial inferiority. But see, if they say that to CEO Doug McMillian of Walmart, then then they might really be on the receiving end of some racism, you know? Because these things are statements of faith. They're not based on any objective reality. And if you go against these statements of faith, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, whatever, then you're a heretic. And Walmart's not going to want you around. That's what it looks like to me. Right? Right? So let, let, me, let me read this whole sentence for you. Walmart tells minority employees that they suffer from constructed racist oppression 
and internalized racial inferiority with internal messages such as, we believe there is something wrong with being a person of color, and we have a sense of limited possibility. Well, let me tell you something. I've never met a black person who thinks there's something wrong with being black. You know? I mean, we're all created in the image of God. I think the big problem here is that the folks in charge of Walmart appear to be atheists. They don't think that we're all created in the image of God. Obviously, or they wouldn't be putting out this kind of garbage. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if this is the case, if this is the case, if this is what they believe, then why doesn't the filthy, rich, lily-white CEO of Walmart, Doug McMillian, tell the board of directors, y'all need to replace me with a person of color. I'm going to stop taking my $22 million salary a year. I don't even deserve a pension. I don't even deserve a 401k because I am the recipient of systemic racism. And frankly, I should sell everything I own, give it to the poor, and go down to the homeless shelter and be there for the soup kitchen. And y'all should too. After you replace me with a CEO, person of color, then y'all need to resign and y'all need to be replaced, board of directors, with people of color, right? If he really believed this stuff, that's what he would be saying. And he would also call on the board of directors of the Walton Family Foundation, all of whom are white, to do the same thing. But you know why he's not doing it? First of all, he could not have gotten to the position he's in if he was a straight-up guy who was being honest and truthful about things. You know what I'm saying? That's not the kind of folks that apparently get rewarded with being the CEO of the largest employer in the, in, in, in the country. All right? So why is Doug McMillian, the CEO of Walmart, not going to follow through with the logical conclusion of all this racist pablum that he is fomenting on the black and white associates of Walmart. I'll tell you why. We learned this from Rush Limbaugh years ago, Maha Rushi. 
because rich folk patronize liberals. You know? They think, well, okay, if we say that it's bad to be wealthy and we say that the wealthy folk are responsible for the poor folk being downtrodden, then we're the good guys, even though we have no intention of getting rid of our wealth. We want folk to look at other rich people and think they're awful. But as long as we say the right thing, then they won't look at us. And that's why you'd always have Teddy Kennedy, filthy rich, talking about how hard it is for poor folk in America and how rich people don't pay enough taxes. A lot of rich liberals talk about that. And Rush would say, nothing's stopping you from paying more taxes. You can do that right now. You can do that right now. Y'all remember that? Doug McMillan, president and CEO of Walmart. Under Doug's leadership, Walmart's making life easier for busy families and building trust with customers. It's investing heavily in associate wages, benefits, and education, including a debt-free dollar-a-day college program and an expanded parental leave policy. Well, that's great. And then we get to the garbage. And it launched an ambitious program, Project Gigaton, to combat climate change and work with suppliers to avoid 1 billion metric tons of emissions worldwide. What kind of emissions, Doug? See, because CO2 is something that the plants need, right? And you're all about hugging the trees, right? Who's the worst polluter in the world, Doug? China. You going to say anything to them? Not a chance. So anyway. Anyway. Let me go back to the rest of it. Furthermore, and again, big thank you to Christopher Rufo for exposing all these internal documents from Walmart. Crystal, Christopher Rufo over at Manhattan Institute. Furthermore, Walmart tells minorities that they are programmed to believe the myths promoted by the racist system and develop feelings of self-hate, anger, rage, and ethocentrism and are forced to forget, lie, and stop feeling in order to secure basic survival. Racist system. Well, who's the biggest private employer in the racist system? Doug McMillan, Walmart. Looking at you, boy. Look in the mirror, Doug. You think the system's racist? Look in the mirror, Doug. What you going to do about it? Telling black folk how they're supposed to feel about themselves. Really? Really? What a joke. You're the racist, Doug. Walmart tells minorities they're programmed to believe the myths promoted by the racist system and develop feelings of self-hate, anger, rage, 
ethnocentrism and forced to forget, lie, and stop feeling in order to secure basic survival. Dude, I'm going to tell you something. If that is not the biggest example of Robin D'Angelo, white fragility, white folk who are, are racist, trying to project their racism on everybody else, I don't know what is. The solution, according to Walmart, is to encourage white folk to participate in white anti-racist development, accept their guilt and shame, adopt the idea that white is not right, acknowledge their racism, and move toward collective action whereby white can do right. Oh, collective action. Oh, okay. Acknowledge their racism. See, the thing about this is, if you say, well, I'm not a racist, they're like, aha, see, that's proof right there that you are. Because this is not about logic. This is not about linear reasoning. This is about Doug McMillan, one of the highest paid CEOs in America, trying to encourage a mob. This is remarkable. This is remarkable. The Walmart program is a study in hypocrisy. White male CEO Doug McMillan rakes in $22 million a year while lecturing his hourly wage employees on their internalized racial superiority and internalized racial inferiority. The formula of woke capital is clear. American executives, the most privileged people on the planet, can collect accolades and social status by pledging allegiance to this way of thinking and telling workers they're racist oppressors. I mean, this is, uh, this is insane, man. Walmart launched a program in 2018 in partnership with a racial equity Institute out of Greensboro, North Carolina. So pardon me. If I try to do my level best every day, even though I'm in Arkansas, to avoid giving the Walmart Corporation one penny of my money. By the way, uh, Christopher Rufo, and I'll put the article up on my Facebook page here in a little bit, is working on a 10-part series to expose critical race theory in America's Fortune 100 companies. And that's, um, that's a worthy goal. That is for sure a worthy goal. Because you need to know what these people are trying to do to us. I, you know, I used to say this when I did a talk radio on terrestrial, uh, a talk show on terrestrial radio. Folk who try to divide us by ethnicity, and it's so obvious, do not have our best interests at heart. Follow the money, follow the money, follow the money. So 
Krista Rufo winds it up kind of saying what I was saying, reminding you what Rush Limbaugh said all those years ago. The formula of woke capital is clear. American executives, the most privileged people on the planet, can collect accolades and social status by pledging allegiance to this racial equity idea and telling their employees, who they insist on calling workers, you know, the, the, the communist term, that they are racist oppressors. Yeah. Sure. Right. Okay, now, another thing we need to get to today, the fact that the FDA admitted it doesn't know if the COVID vaccines do any good for people who already had COVID. Had you heard about that? All right, let's uh, we talk about that. Give me about 25 seconds uh, to get a sip of some grapefruit juice and clear my throat, and, uh, and we'll be on it. You're listening to The Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays at docwashburnshow.com and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right. Now, let's, uh, like, oh, 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 and before I get, well, this is, this is connected. This is connected. The great Daniel Horowitz over at The Blaze says today, Ivermectin is placed right under remdesivir on the treatment list at the National Institutes of Health and they even dose ivermectin for COVID. They tell you how much to take for COVID. Official document from the National Institutes of Health, United States government. This just shows that before the coordinated attack on ivermectin, it was totally greenlit for use for COVID. Just so you know. And I'm going to try, I don't know if this is a PDF or not, but I'm going to try to link this to my um, Facebook page here in a little bit also. Because it's all connected. It's all connected. And I just thought you should know. Now, what's the deal with the FDA? This guy I follow over on Twitter calls himself FOIA fan because he's a big fan of doing Freedom of Information Act requests. on the government. I don't know if I'm going to be able to put this on my Facebook page or not. It looks like it might be a PDF. I don't know. But anyway, this is in the FDA's original emergency authorization review for the Pfizer vaccine regarding COVID survivors. Now, people have already had COVID. It says... Available data are insufficient to determine whether such individuals could benefit from vaccination. Okay, wait, what? That, 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 that basketball player, the NBA with Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets, Kyrie Irving. Hasn't he already had COVID? 
So he's like, there's no reason I should get the vaccine? These vaccine mandates, they're like, we don't care if you already had COVID. This isn't about your health care. This isn't about your health. This is about control. We're control freaks, and we're going to tell you what to do. That's what it's all about. Okay? So we got the same thing in the FDA's emergency approval of the Moderna vaccine. Check this out. Regarding the benefit of the mRNA-1273 Moderna for individuals with prior infection with the SARS-CoV-2, participants with a known history of SARS-CoV-2 infection were excluded from the Phase three study. And there was only one case of COVID-19 among study participants with positive SARS-CoV-2 infection status at baseline. Thus, the study was not designed to assess the benefit in individuals with prior SARS-CoV-2 infection. They don't care. They don't care. Look, 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 look. Can we be real here? Because that's what I'm about. If they cared about your health care, if they cared about your health, then we wouldn't have an open border, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and the Biden regime wouldn't be welcoming hundreds of thousands, possibly even millions of people in here who are bringing with them who knows what kind of diseases with them. If you still think that the government cares about your health, I'm sorry, fam, I can't help you. I can't help you. You know, again, this is a national podcast, a national live stream. We're talking the whole country. We've got, what, 4,500 downloads in just the first three days. 46 states, D.C., over 10 other countries. But I happen to be doing the show from Little Rock, Arkansas. And I noticed a few months ago when the governor of Arkansas said, okay, uh, you can stop wearing masks. You go to the grocery store, and about 90% of the people weren't wearing masks. And... A few weeks after that, when the governor of Arkansas said, oh, no, we got this awful Delta variant now. You go to the grocery store, about half the people wear masks again. If you really believe a guy like Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas, the same guy who vetoed a bill that would have outlawed sterilizing children, would have outlawed puberty blockers for eight years old, eight-year-olds. If you really believe this guy cares about your health, I can't help you. I can't help you. You're probably not going to like my show. But if you're interested in the truth, then you will like this show. You will like this show. So FOIA fan, the one who put out the screenshots and the links to 
exactly what the FDA said about the Pfizer vaccine, that there's no way to tell if the vaccine would help people who've already had COVID. And the same thing about the Moderna vaccine. No way to tell if it'd be beneficial to people who already had COVID. He says, and soon they will be pushing third-dose boosters on COVID survivors with no testing to back it up. No testing to back it up. Don't care if you've already had the Rona, the Wu flu, the China virus. You got to take the booster anyway. Why? Because we said so. Not because there's any science to back it up. So why do you say you follow science then? Because enough people are stupid enough to think we follow science. Got any more questions? And he says, were any of the judges in natural immunity cases made aware of what the FDA's emergency use authorizations actually say about people who are naturally immune, meaning no supporting data to show any benefit from the vaccine. I mean, there may or may not be a rational basis for one-size-fits-all vaccine mandate policies, but this ain't it. Now, that's what he says. I say there is no rational basis for vaccine mandate policies. He says there are millions of COVID survivors who are being pressured into taking this vaccine with their careers and various rights on the line, including military, including teenagers, and maybe soon 5- to 11-year-old kids, pressured by people who never actually read the FDA's reports. Read them, please. Well, FOIA fan, that's, uh, that's nice, but that's a bridge too far. People don't want to read stuff. They don't. Like I said, I don't know about your state. I talked to a friend in Florida who said for months now, 90% of the people wherever he goes are not wearing masks. But in Arkansas, when the governor said we don't have to wear masks anymore, 90% of the people didn't wear masks. We announced a few weeks later, ooh, we got this Delta variant. Ooh, ooh, that's dangerous. All of a sudden, half the people in the grocery stores are wearing masks. See people walking down sidewalks with masks on. I can't help folk like that. I really can't. I really can't. I really can't. But I might help you. Know what I'm saying? All right. Um, I promised you I would get to the new evidence out there about just how much the events January 6th at the U.S. Capitol were a setup by the feds. And I know this, uh, this upsets some people, but we still have the First Amendment right to free speech in this country. I know the First Amendment right to free speech drives a lot of people crazy. They don't want to hear about it. They're going to try to shut me down. As our audience grows, they will try to shut us down. We realize that. We're aware of that. But we're trying to do the right thing regardless. So, <laughs> so I hope you'll tell your friends about this podcast and where they can find it.
Say what? what? They have taken us down? What do you mean they have taken us down? The global admin for Podbean? Well, I'm... Second day in a row. What happened yesterday? Well, we'll get over here in the microphone so people, people can hear you. This is Mansour Simpier, uh, our IT expert. All right, t- t- tell everybody what you're telling me. Get, get close to the microphone. So um, yesterday we didn't notice it happened until towards the end of the podcast, but today it happened about 13, 14 minutes in, I believe. And so... What exactly happened? We was I was watching the podcast live, and yep. then all of a sudden, the live stream ended. The live stream on Podbean ended. Ended. Not, not an error message. Nothing technical popped up on the screen. Just live stream ended. I'll bet you we can find better lawyers than they have. Yeah, this this is ridiculous. All right, we're gonna keep going. Thank you, Mansur. I appreciate that. We're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep going. So, Julie Kelly. Over oh, to American Greatness. Oh, by the way, Mansur, you might want to you might want to open a ticket on that. See what their excuse is, okay? I don't know if you hear me or not. Julie Kelly in American Greatness has a new article out. Was January 6th part of the FBI's Operation Cold Snap? Subtitle. It's only a matter of time before we learn how many big Dan's or Stephen Robeson's were part of January 6th. She says the tiny bucolic town of Dublin, Ohio, will be one of the last places in America expected to host a convention of white supremacist militiamen. Nestled along the Shoto River, the Columbus suburbs' biggest claim to fame is hosting the PGA's annual memorial golf tournament every summer. But... In June 2020, days after the nation was roiled by Black Lives Matter looting and rioting, a man from Wisconsin named Stephen Robeson sponsored a national militia conference at a hotel in Dublin, Ohio. Yeah, that was the real name of the event, National Militia Conference. Now, BuzzFeed, of all places, BuzzFeed, which tends to be a a liberal place on the Internet, as most news sites are. But according to BuzzFeed's exceptional July 2021 investigative report on the FBI-led plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020, Stephen Robeson helped organize the national meeting of the National Militia Conference and was enthusiastically pushing people he knew to attend the conference the purpose of which was to recruit people who ultimately would stoke political violence against governors who refused to reopen their states after lockdown supposedly necessitated necessitated by COVID. Some participants said Robeson, known as Roby, relentlessly pestered them until they finally agreed to show up to his national militia conference. People came from as far as Maryland and Kansas City, according to BuzzFeed, one member of the three percenters, an alleged militia group on the FBI's naughty list, observed people taking photos from discreet locations in the hotel. He said he thought to himself, the feds are everywhere. Indeed, one of the feds was this Robeson guy, Stephen Robeson. 
the guy who organized the National Militia Conference in the first place. In a motion filed in July by a defense lawyer in the prosecution of those who allegedly were going to try to kidnap Michigan Governor Whitmer, Robeson is described as having a long record of cooperating with the government in exchange for personal benefits. They basically said Robeson is a confidential human source with a decades-long history of acting as a professional snitch for the government. Well, I guess then, when you're snitched for the FBI, the old saying uh, from the gangster rap guys, snitches get stitches, is incorrect. Robeson also, and there's nothing at all sketchy about this, founded the Wisconsin Patriot Three Percenters, according to BuzzFeed's reporting. Now, Three Percenters, along with the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, are considered right-wing extremist militias by the FBI. Dozens of members from the three groups have been arrested and charged in connection with the January 6th protest at the U.S. Capitol. But there's more to Robeson's background than just acting as government-paid flypaper to lure right-wingers to join a so-called militia group. He's compiled a rap sheet a mile long, including sex with a minor, battery, car theft, insurance fraud, forgery. And in 2020, this convicted felon was working, still working, for Christopher Ray's FBI to entrap alleged militiamen, presumably loyal to Donald Trump, to pull a stunt before the 2020 election. Which is exactly what happened. And yet another example of the FBI interfering in a presidential election, Robeson and at least a dozen other FBI agents and informants orchestrated the shocking scheme the feds paid for and organized surveillance trips as well as weapons training camps all for the hidden cameras to capture on film to produce major headlines as early voting was underway in the crucial swing state of Michigan. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer held a dramatic press conference the day the Justice Department announced the arrest of six men on federal conspiracy charges, blaming Trump for encouraging domestic terrorists. Dementia Joe Biden, otherwise known as Let's Go Brandon, also weighed in. He said, there is a thorough line, there is a through line from President Trump's dog whistles and tolerance of hate, vengeance, and lawlessness to plots such as this one. He is giving oxygen to the bigotry and hate we see on the march in our country. That's Dementia Joe said on October 8th, 2020. Turns out the oxygen that gave the plot life came from inside the house. BuzzFeed, after reviewing numerous court records and conducting interviews with those involved, concluded the FBI assets had a hand in nearly every aspect of the alleged plot, starting with, its inception. Without the FBI's involvement, it's unclear whether there would have even been a conspiracy without them. 
For now, the federal trial has been delayed until next spring after defense counsel asked for a 90-day continuance to investigate misconduct by FBI agents and informants. And Julie Kelly links to a report on the pattern of FBI misconduct that she already wrote about. It also appears that the operation to try to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan was only part of the FBI's overall plan to infiltrate and perhaps direct the conduct of unsuspecting militiamen in 2020. Operation Cold Snap. Heard about that? According to BuzzFeed, was an undercover, far-reaching, multi-state, domestic terrorism investigation to surveil, or more, more likely to entrap, as defense lawyers in the Whitmer case now argue, people tied to the FBI's hit list of right-wing militias. The Justice Department vaguely referred to the operation in its press release announcing the arrests in the Whitmer case. Quote, FBI began an investigation earlier this year after becoming aware through social media that a group of individuals was discussing violent overthrow of certain government and law enforcement components. Unquote. Testimony by one of the lead FBI special agents in the Whitmer case verified the multi-state probe. Henrik Impola, who worked with the FBI's biggest informant in the case, an Iraq war veteran known as Big Dan, told the judge he was handling Big Dan and acting as a case agent in Operation Cold Snap at the same time. Impola testified in March, and I quote, from the FBI through the Domestic Terrorism Operations Center, I was aware of other FBI investigations in Baltimore and Milwaukee and Cincinnati and Indiana involving other militia members who were attending the National Conference in Dublin, Ohio. Now, Big Dan, who was paid at least $54,000 by the FBI for seven months' work on the Whitmer caper, and a separate FBI special agent had another target in Virginia. FBI special agent Jason Chambers in September urged Big Dan to convince a man in Virginia to, particip to participate in a sinister plan against Virginia Governor Ralph Blackface Northam. Quote, the mission is to kill the governor specifically. That's a quote in the text between the handler and the informant. And just like in the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Big Dan advised his target how to build an explosive device and urged him to attend a training camp in Wisconsin. So, BuzzFeed reports, like all the others, the Wisconsin event was conceived, planned, and conducted by the federal investigative team of agents and undercover informants working together to provide a stage upon which to manipulate their targets into acting out ostensibly incriminating behavior the government hoped to elicit in its bid to develop, then interrupt the operation of a so-called domestic terrorist organization. Sound familiar? And there's another glaring connection between January 6th and the Whitmer kidnapping case that cannot be dismissed as coincidence. 
one week after the charges were announced in the kidnapping plot, the man in charge of the Detroit FBI field office was promoted to head of the D.C. FBI field office. Stephen M. Dantuono took over the D.C. office, described as a coveted post in the FBI, October 13, 2020. Was this Dantuono guy promoted for a job well done in Michigan or to continue the undercover operation, blaming any post-election chaos on right-wing militia groups, as they did with a plot to try to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer? Several unanswered questions about the FBI's possible involvement remain, as Darren Beatty has detailed over at Revolver News. One mystery is the whereabouts of FBI Director Christopher Wray before and during the protest. Cash Patel, who held several high-level posts in the waning months of Trump's presidency, was in communication with top administration officials on January 5th and 6th. In a recent interview, Cash Patel said, I was on the phone on January 4th, 5th, and 6th with the president, with the chief of staff, the attorney general, with the Department of Homeland Security, and the only person missing from those phone calls was the director of the FBI. He was nowhere to be found. Furthermore, the New York Times bombshell last month confirmed that at least one informant inside the Proud Boys started working with the agency in July 2020 and appears to have been close to several other members of his Proud Boys chapter, including some who have been charged in the attack. Now, the New York Times report can only be seen as a start of a slow drip of information about the extent of the FBI's role in January 6th. For now... It's hard to imagine Operation Cold Snap ended with the arrest of Governor Whitmer's would-be abductors. A more likely scenario is that FBI Director Christopher Wray moved Dan Tuono, the head of the Michigan office for the FBI, to the nation's capital just in time for what everyone knew would be a highly fraught period after Election Day. It's only a matter of time before we learn how many Big Dans or Stephen Robesons were part of the January 6th festivities at the U.S. Capitol. That's strong right there. That is strong right there. Okay, so what I'm wondering is, what I'm wondering is, The idea, the idea that apparently, apparently, our uh, facilitator for the live audio, apparently our facilitator for the live audio, Podbean, shut us down about 13 14 minutes into this. We're going to have to really look into this over the weekend. Um, but follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, and we're going to try to figure out how to do a live stream Monday at, a, at noon Eastern, 11 Central. That won't get shut down because somebody disagrees with our political 
philosophies. You know what I'm saying? All right. Uh, this has been the Doc Washburn Show, Episode 4. Uh, we really appreciate you guys sticking with us, and we look forward to doing many more as long as God allows. Thanks. God bless you. Have a great weekend.